Well, hello. How the hell are you folks? I've missed you. I know you missed me. I apologize for being away for a full doggone week, maybe even longer. I'm not quite even sure. But I had a good reason. I was in Nashville, Tennessee. Nick the American was hanging out Broadway Street. Brought my wife. I had a a Millennium Buying Group conference. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, and the wonderful time I had. So why the hell was I there? Honestly, I was there for work. And once a year, I get together with what is called the Millennium Buying Group. And the Millennium Buying Group is a group of about 30 dealers from the, in the Northeast, the Southeast, uh, some in the Midwest. Nobody's on the West Coast. Nobody's on the West Coast. And we get together in Naples or Destin, Florida or Panama City. Um, we've gotten together in Nashville a couple of times. This coming year, we're going to be in Jack. This next year, we'll be in Jacksonville, uh, in some island right off of Jacksonville. So, really neat places. You get together with these 30 dealers and you pitch them your products. You hang out with them for the week. You party with them for the week. You have a great time. At least the vendors like me that actually stay there for a full, you know, four or five days have a great time. You really build these amazing relationships with these members and keep in mind, and this is well documented with the group and with Nick the American, 80% of the group, probably 85% of the group is super conservative, super conservative. There's five or six dealers in the group that are from the state of Tennessee, okay? Red Tennessee. You know, 15% of the group is tends to be liberal and I'm one of those liberal vendors. But I will tell you, like I've, I, I've, told you and told you and told you what we have in common is so great what we we don't have in common is not that great and over the years i've had so many political discussions with millennium members as i did this past week and i'm just reminded how alike we are we've just got this and and i'm guilty of it conservatives are guilty of it we've got this political tribalism that no matter no matter what our beliefs, we, me, and a, me and a Millennium member could sit down and agree on everything, but they would never vote for a Democrat and I would never vote for a Republican. I wouldn't say never. I absolutely wouldn't. I'd vote for you know a Republican. I, I really would. I know. Bobby, you call bullshit on that. That's, that's not bullshit. I just would never vote for Donald Trump. I'd take Joe Biden every day of the week. And, and you guys know me on this show. I am no Joe Biden fan. So... Had a wonderful week hanging out with the Millennium Group. Let's see if we can up our orders from last year, I'm hoping. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Nashville for a second. I was, you know, and this isn't my first rodeo in Nashville. I've been a few times. Um, But uh, the amount of singing talent in that city is absolutely ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. It's off the charts. And so you've got Broad Street and you've got a bunch of great singers, loud music, you know, eh, okay food. But uh, you get off the strip a little bit and maybe you find a, a couple better singers. So one place in particular, and I wish I had the name of it, um, it was a uh, karaoke bar. Me and some of the, me and my wife and some of the members weren't ready to call it quits at like 1230 at night. And so we took an Uber a few miles off of the Broadway Strip to a karaoke bar. Okay. Now, we were sitting in the corner, drinking our beers. They only served beer and wine, which was great. You know, you didn't need any hard alcohol at at one in the morning. But uh, every singer, this is a karaoke bar. And, and these people are just like uh, random people. Every single person that got up and sang a karaoke song absolutely killed it. They killed it. It was ridiculous. It got to the point after about the 10th or 12th singer knocking song after song out of the park. It got to the point where I turned to, to the group that I was with and I said, guys, gals, 
I think we're the only fucking people in this entire bar that cannot sing. And everyone laughed. And I said, we, we laugh. This is 100% true. Everybody from all these different groups has gotten up and sung a song and killed it. We, we, we couldn't do anything. And so just seeing so many, we saw a young singer named Faith Noel. She was like 21 years old. She'd just gotten into town in Nashville. She was going to give it, you know, just like all these singers jump into Nashville. I'm going to, I've got three or four months worth of money. I'm going to give it my best shot. Maybe somebody records me, sends it to somebody. I get discovered. But Nashville is so talented. It is filled with so much singing talent. And it was just on display this past week. It's always on display. It's always on display. Now, a couple tips for you. I mentioned Broadway and not a real big fan of a lot of the food on Broadway. But a couple spots. Let's see. The Stillery. The Stillery. If you go to Nashville, it's just right off Broadway. Look up the Stillery. Me and my wife actually went there twice. The food was absolutely ridiculous. The pizza. I'm not a pizza person. Well, I, I like pizza. But I, I don't order at a restaurant like that. And the pizza was ridiculous. Everything that you saw come out, you're like, oh, shit. Distillery. I want that. I want that. Skull Rainbow. Skull Rainbow. Amazing food. Just some sort of, some alley it's called. I, I forget. And I'm sure if you've been to Nashville, you know what I'm talking about. But go to the Skull Rainbow. Find one of those gems right off of Broadway, and they're everywhere, and that's when the food gets really delicious. It gets really delicious. Another takeaway, red state of Tennessee, the Bible Belt. Some people call Tennessee the buckle of the Bible Belt, okay? The buckle. Guess what they have in common with Seattle? They have homeless. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, Red State, Tennessee, Nashville. You guys have homeless too. And I bring that up because a lot of times, and I get this with my friends, you know, they, they talk about the homeless in Seattle like it's, like it's been facilitated by Democrats and, and liberals and they don't have that in conservative states. It's easy to point to a state like California, which is the fourth largest economy in the world. It, it's its own country. And so it's hard to clean up a, a country or a state like California that is so large and so diverse and the fourth largest economy in the world. We've got bad problems in Seattle, too. But Nashville, to me, was just as bad as Seattle. No question. I saw people defecating. We saw tons, t- tons of hobos. It was just it was ubiquitous in terms of the homeless. They were they were all over the place. I would may even make a case in some spot, you know, a lot of parts of Seattle, it wasn't as bad as Nashville. Eh, maybe. I mean, we've got we've got a couple spots in Seattle that aren't aren't so great. Nothing compares to the fucking cesspool of Portland, but a red state like Tennessee is is not free of homelessness, and it's an epidemic that doesn't it does it doesn't speak to red, it doesn't speak to blue. It just speaks to the human condition, how hard life is, and you know we've got to we've got to come up with solutions. But Nashville has it too. Nashville has it too. So, what a fun week hanging out with a bunch of conservatives from the Millennium Group. I love you guys, Conservative Bobby. I love you, Chemo. You're so wonderful. Thank you for a wonderful time. There's Mark Fosum, the director who, by the way, is a liberal. He's just a great guy. They've supported me so much over the years. I couldn't run my business without a group like that. So I'm very grateful. And I'm looking forward to Jacksonville next year. And at some point, we will uh, get our butts back to Nashville, listen to some great music, and we'll eat at the distillery. I'm telling you, we'll eat at the distillery. So switching gears here. What are you paying at the gas pump right now? 
so I'm in Seattle and we're paying $5.30, maybe $5.50. I'm not sure. We're up there. I saw Minnesota currently is the lowest on national average at $4.07 a gallon. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Now, I can be upset and whine and cry about gas prices, and I can say, Joe Biden, that stupid fucker, or whoever the president is, if it was Trump or if it was Bush or if it was Obama. That's what, that's what political tribalism tends to do to you. You blame the other side, even though they might not have all that much control over it. And so I did a little study, and I'm like, you know, why, are, why is gas prices you know, so high? What's going on? And let me look at some of my notes here. I don't usually look at notes, but uh, gas prices. There's so many different. There, there's 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 different metrics. Okay, we had abnormally hot. The last couple of years, we've had ridiculously hot weather in the Gulf, where it's actually shut down oil refineries who take that crude oil and turn it into gasoline for us. Okay, so the weather plays a part in this. Our government doesn't subsidize gasoline. Okay, I was looking when when I was in Cancun, Mexico, I was scratching my head and saying, why are why are gas prices, you know, three dollars a gallon? Why are they so much lower in Mexico? And I read the Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez Orador. They subsidized the 35% of the gasoline subsidized by the government. Now, ask yourself if you're conservative or a liberal, do you want the government subsidizing your gasoline to, to help lower prices? What can we do? What can Joe Biden do? I read that Joe Biden is, I mean, the last couple of years has tapped into our oil reserves. And we saw, um, you know, the, the prices kind of level out for a little bit. But that was such a temporary thing. That's all he could do. He's taken our, our, ga- our oil and gas reserves to their lowest point since the mid-1980s, ladies and gentlemen. So this is just a short-term fix. You can't keep tapping into these things. Okay. Now, ANWR. What is ANWR? This is a huge political hot button. And, 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 and I'll, I'll, get, I'll preface this by, with a conversation I just had at the gas station with some old guy. He's in a, like a 1982 Datsun pickup truck, and he's filling up like a gas can. And I'm filling up gas, and he's shaking his head, and he says, Joe Biden hates America. Joe Biden hates America. I said, oh, yeah, how so? Well, if he'd just, if, if he'd just drill an Anwar, we could fix this whole problem. And I said, Anwar. And so in case you guys don't know, the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge, there's a huge supply of oil there. And you hear Republicans, Sarah Palin, like, drill, baby, drill, drill, baby, drill. Okay. And hey, I read about it. I'm open to it. What's the deal with Anwar? And so I'm talking with this guy a little bit, the guy who says he hates Joe Biden. And I said, well, how long do you think it would take to get ANWR, the National Refuge, this oil reserve in Alaska, up to speed before we can actually really start pumping oil, sending it to the Gulf, turning that crude oil into actual gasoline that can run our daily lives? How long will that take? I asked him that question, and he told me a couple of months and I laughed. I laughed. And, I, and I've, I've looked this up. It's anywhere from five to ten years for us to get this up and going. So this isn't necessarily a solution that's going to fix anything for this president or the next president, even if we got going right this second. Now, the other thing I looked up, and I think this is super important to think about, Okay, this reserve that we've got in Alaska, how large is it? Could it supply us for 300 years? How big is it? And and I've read multiple sources. We're looking at a 50-year supply. And if you listen to Nick the American, 
We talk about thinking about the world in 50-year increments. Think about the country in 50-year increments. If we do that, this is a temporary supply. This is a glorified Band-Aid. So what do we do? What do we do? What should be the goal? And I think the goal here, whether you, and I had a conversation with one of my Millennium Group members from Tennessee, Dennis, about this, and we agreed. It's energy independence. Remember T. Boone Pickens? I've brought him up before. This oil tycoon from Oklahoma. Oklahoma State Cowboy T. Boone Pickens. He, he was preaching energy independence. And if me and a conservative member of the Millennium Group or a conservative, if we sat down and we said, here's our business. Our business is the United States of America. And we have a fuel issue, a fuel supply issue, because the Saudis and the Russians... And the Chinese, along with us, are the world's biggest exporters of oil. Hmm. The Saudis, the Chinese, and the Russians. If I own my own business, which I do, and I've got a SKU that I t sell tons of, I want to control the raw materials. I want to be able to make it myself. I don't want to be buying it from somebody else. I don't want to be at the mercy of Saudi Arabia playing politics with our fuel. And no one else does. So I was looking, Nor Norway, it has the highest gas prices in the world. Okay? They also, take this, 80% of all new cars sold in Norway are electric. Okay? To compare that with the United States, how many do you think? How many do you think? Of the new cars bought in the United States, 5.8% are electric. Now, conservatives don't get upset. I am not trying to take your diesel truck or your monster truck or whatever, your, your gas guzzler, away from you. Of course not. But over the course of time, if you think about 50-year increments, is there going to be gas stations in 50 years or 100 years? Are those going to be a thing of the past? Because you just plug your car in and it goes for 800 miles. This is going to take time. Energy independence is going to take time. The technology has to be there. And right now it's expensive. <clears throat> the tech is not quite there. Think about, think about in the early 2000s, we still had home phones. Nobody had cell phones. Then we graduated to this shitty flip phone and then the Razor and then some Blackberry. It took a long time. It took 20 years, you know, 15 years to get us to an iPhone that ran our daily lives. It took a long damn time, okay? If someone told you when you had your home phone, in 1997 that, oh, pretty soon those are going to be gone and you're just going to have this pocket phone. Nobody's going to take away my home phone. This is America, goddammit. There I go, using the Lord's name in vain. No one's taking away my phone. Well, now who the hell wants a home phone? I bet, you know, people over 70 have home phones. And, and, and I know we've been paying for our home phone for like a long time and we were asking ourselves, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? I think we finally just got rid of it. But the, the point with the phones, it takes time. And energy independence, getting off of oil, it's going to take even more time. It's going to take a long-ass time. But if we think about the world in 50-year increments, things seem a little quicker. It's, it's just something I think eventually this country needs to do. We need to be energy independent. We don't need to rely upon the Chinese and the Russians and the Saudis for our oil. One day we'll look back and go, oh my God, I can't believe there was gas stations. Not in our lifetime, probably, but maybe our kids' kids' lifetime. This is coming. It shouldn't be political. Everybody likes to say, oh, my God, look at the gas prices. What a dumb shit Trump is. Oh, my God, Obama's a president. I can't believe how bad it's gotten because of the gas prices. An American president can only do so much. Our political tribalism, I keep mentioning tribalism, 
is such that we just blame the other side. Anwar is not going to fix our problems. It's going to make a lot of people rich. No doubt about it. And it might be something nice to have in our pocket in case of a serious national emergency, maybe like a nuclear war or something. But no president is going to fix this problem. And I, I know, I know, I'm looking at you conservatives, I'm looking at you liberals. If we sat down in a room, we would agree on energy independence. What we wouldn't agree on, and I'm not saying we, I, we I'm not shouldn't even say we shouldn't, that we wouldn't agree on this, but it's how we get there. How fast can we get the technology up to speed? Can we make it affordable? So, interesting stuff, gas prices. Next time, liberals, when a conservative is in office and gas prices are crazy, don't, don't blame the president. And vice versa, conservatives, don't blame Joe Biden. He, he, he's tried. He's tapped into our reserves. It's a, it's a temporary fix. Okay? And Anwar is not coming online anytime soon, regardless of who is the president. Those are just the facts. So, all right. Energy independence. Energy independence, baby. 50-year increments. Maybe we can get there in 100 years. How cool would that be? I'll be 144. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, Nick the American, he turns 45 doggone years old on October 5th. So by the, I, you probably might be listening to this on the 5th. It's my birthday. Make sure that you send me some money or you send me a card or God, I love roses. I really, I really love roses. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. I have not talked boxing in a little bit. I was gone, so I, you know, I, I failed to bring up the, the big fight between Canelo Alvarez and Jamel Charlo this past weekend, which I was so proud of myself. My Washington Huskies were on at 7 o'clock. I had uh, my buddy Wade coming over, big Husky fan, Wade and his wife. And uh, I decided not to buy the fight. And this is my second Canelo fight in a row that I did not purchase. Way to go, Nick. Why didn't I purchase them? Well, last fight, Canelo fought a, a glorified journeyman named John Ryder. And Canelo Alvarez, if you think I'm paying 80 bucks to watch you fight John Ryder, you were wrong. You were wrong. And I bet the fight didn't even do that well. I, I'm not even sure what the pay-per-view buys were. And so this, this fight, this fight that just occurred on Saturday, Canelo fought Jermel Charlo. He's fighting at 168 pounds, super middleweight division. And we know, if you listen to Nick the American, the, the official fighter of Nick the American is 168-pound stud, the Mexican monster David Benavidez. Canelo doesn't seem so interested in wanting to fight our boy, our house fighter, David Benavidez. So what did he do? He fought Jermel Charlo. Jermel Charlo is a junior middleweight. I'm going to educate you here. Junior middleweight is 154 pounds. So Jermel Charlo jumped two weight classes to fight Canelo Alvarez on Saturday night. I have not seen the fight. I've seen clips of the fight. Everyone's takeaway is the same. Jermel Charlo was there to survive. He did he at no point in the fight did he try to win the fight. And so, hey, Canelo, you didn't get my money this time either. This was not a fight that everyone was clamoring for. And, and even though I'm a boxing cult fan and I buy lots of bad fights, Canelo is like the standard. And so I want him to be in specific fights. Otherwise, I'm not going to pay for your tune-up. If it was on Showtime, if it was on ESPN+, Plus, no problem. If it was on DAZN, I've got a subscription. No problem, Canelo. But I'm not paying $85 for Charlo and Alvarez, and I'm really, really glad I, I stuck to my guns. My Washington Huskies were playing that night, and uh, they're getting a bunch of national pub as one of the top teams in the country. Pump the brakes. Our defense looks a little squirrely. I think, you know, I'm not sure who is the best team in the in the country, but uh, I don't even need to talk about that right now. Go Huskies! Go Dogs! Go Michael Penix! We have another fight coming up. It's a crossover fight. Tyson Fury and Francis Nagano. So we've got the former UFC heavyweight champ 
with one of the current uh, boxing heavyweight champs. I read a report Fury's going to make $100 million for this fight. I bet Naganu, I, I read, is going to make more in this one fight than he has made in his entire UFC career, which highlights the one issue with UFC. The best might fight the best, but boy, they don't get paid all that much. So good for Naganu, good for Fury. After all, whether you're a, an ultimate fighter, if you are a boxer, you are a prize fighter. You fight for prize. And they're getting paid. They're getting a hell of a lot of prize. I don't expect it to be much of a fight. I will not be getting this fight. I don't need to see an exhibition. I really don't. The fight that I do need to see is Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk, which apparently has been signed. So Fury's already got another fight signed with the, the, the guy in the heavyweight division in boxing that has all the belts. I will buy Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk all day long. I look forward to that fight. That will unify all of the belts. Okay, So skip Fury Naganu. It's an exhibition. Have a party and don't skip Fury and Francis Nag Excuse me. Don't skip Fury and, and Usyk. Because that, that's, that's going to be a very interesting fight. And, and we'll talk about that later. Lastly on boxing. The Mexican monster, David Benavides, has a fight. He has a fight date, November 25th, on pay-per-view. David Benavides versus Demetrius Andre. Demetrius Andre is 32-0. He's, uh, he's, I believe, only fought one fight at super middleweight, coming up from middleweight. He's 32-0. Some people think he's the boogeyman. Nobody wants to fight him because of his style. On the other hand, he has not fought a lot of great competition. And so I am super excited about the Mexican monster getting back into the ring next month, November 25th. His, his, his brother, actually, is, is fighting Jamal Charlo, who is the twin brother of the Charlo who just fought Canelo. I don't want to confuse you. November 25th. Do me a favor. Get the David Benavidez fight. This kid does not disappoint. And, and, I mean, hell, he's the official fighter of Nick the American. All right, no more boxing. Son of a bitch, no more boxing. Let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go rapid fire here with some politicians. Some politicians. We just got to bring this. We got to bring this stuff up. We learned Bob Medendez, senator from New Jersey. The wonderful Bob Medendez has been indicted for the second time. The first time he was indicted, he got off. Okay, now apparently something with the Egyptian government, they're paying him in gold bars and cash to so so Bob can go to go, go to the Senate and get some preferential treatment written into some bills for the Egyptians. Guess what? Guess what this liberal Democrat says about Bob Menendez? Bye. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out, Bob Menendez. I don't give a damn if you're guilty or not of this second indictment. Second to another indictment, that's enough for me to say goodbye. We can do better. We Democrats can do better. Republicans can do better. We can do better. Now, will the Democratic National Committee be committed to find to recruiting a high quality candidate to get his ass beat in a primary? Let's do it. Let's do it. Because as much as Republicans or Democrats might be disgusted with a certain politician. They're still not willing to lose a seat in the Senate, maybe even lose a seat in the House. The Senate's obviously more important with only 100 members. Control the Senate, you know, it's tied. It's, it's, it's got, you know, it's 51-49. The balance is always flipping, as is the House, but it usually flips a, bit, a, little bit, a few more seats in the House of Representatives. So DNC, let's come up with a quality candidate. Primary Bob Menendez's ass. Get his ass out of politics, okay? And I'm happy to report that Republic, excuse me, Democrats from my party are calling for his head across the board. Who is supporting Bob Menendez? Nobody, and nobody should be. All right, next politician. The late California Senator Dianne Feinstein, okay? Now, I'm not here to talk about Dianne Feinstein's politics, left or right. And you shouldn't care about that either. This is something totally different. Diane Feinstein was 
basically a U.S. senator until she died. And I wonder, I mean, John McCain is a U.S. senator until he dies. Is Joe Biden going to be president until he dies? Is Donald Trump going to run for office until his last breath? Is that what's going to happen? Is Mitch McConnell, who we've seen have a couple of really scary episodes, and I don't want to get political with Mitch McConnell. I want Mitch McConnell to be okay. I want Diane Feinstein should have just gone off into the sunset, enjoyed herself. Mitch McConnell, who's been an incredible ambassador for the Grand Old Party, the GOP. He doesn't have it anymore. But will the RNC, will the DNC step up? And were we willing to replace Feinstein? Last time she won re-election, we obviously weren't. We don't want to lose a seat. But my goodness, do we really need to run until we die? No. So what do we do about it? Do you put, I mean, people always say, oh, um, I, I'm for what, God, why is my mind blanking here? Why is my mind, um, a term limits, excuse me, term limits. I'm for term limits. Well, don't we have term limits? You can vote them out of office. But when you're in a red district, when you're in a, a, a red state, and you're going to win re-election every time, and you're in a blue state, and you're going to win re-election every time, the term limits, you know, voting them out of office, well, you know, you might be disgusted with a Republican, but you're not going to vote for a Democrat, and vice versa, typically. So we have term limits. It's called the voting booth. But because of our political tribalism, we don't utilize term limits. We don't vote people out of office. So... Diane Feinstein, rest in peace, rest in peace. I, I hope someone like Mitch McConnell um, takes note and, 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 and has somebody step up in the Republican Party that can, that, that, that can head the Senate like Mitch McConnell did. And Mitch can go, you know, live in peace and he doesn't have to be given these high-level press conferences where he freezes up. Maybe we call it, on Nick the American, the Feinstein-McConnell Pledge. Where, I don't know, do we, do we put an age? Do we put an age on you? There's an age to run, I, I believe. Maybe it's just for president. I'm not sure about senator. Do we, do we cap it at 80? What if you're a damn smart 80-year-old? I don't know. It, it, it's tough. I don't know what to do about it. But maybe, maybe politicians could pledge that when their faculties are, are shot, they step aside. They step aside. We got to think about this. What 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 would what, in our Feinstein McConnell bill? What would be in it that we could get politicians from both sides okay with the fact that they're not going to run until they die? Last last politician I want to touch on briefly, a Republican senator from Alabama, Katie Britt. I read an article last week about this up-and-coming GOP star, how she's crossing the aisle. Not, and I'm not talking voting. Cross, she's a conservative, no doubt. I'm sure me and her would have many disagreements. I've listened to her. She's very sharp. She brought John Fetterman's soup, the struggling senator from Pennsylvania who wears shorts and T-shirts. Okay, Maybe we could do better there, Democratic Party. But he ran against Oz, and so, you know, it was what it was. But uh, Katie Britt, I, I heard Chuck Schumer praising her. I've heard multiple Democrats praising her. And I love to see young talent in both parties. Both parties. I love to see, especially my party, the Democratic Party. I want young talent. Who's coming up? Because I don't like these old fuddy-duddies. Biden's time's passed. So, Katie Britt is somebody to watch for. She has not endorsed the king. She has not endorsed the king, which makes me endeared to her a little bit. I bet he's going to be coming out. We mentioned Christy Noem and the spear squatting. She might be out. But Katie Britt, I wonder if she would take Trump up on an offer. I'm not sure because Trump's only question for a VP is, will you certify the vote? Will you, will you, will you, will you, will you be Mike Pence? You won't certify the vote if I lose, but via voter fraud, will you, Katie? So 
I'm excited about Katie Britt. I'm going to keep watching her. I'm going to start following her a little closely, and, and you should too. Right? Up-and-coming Republican Katie Britt. So, <clears throat> Excuse me. We've got so much to talk about in this show. We've got a lot to talk about. I gotta make sure I've got a I've got a business call here in a little bit. I gotta get off, but uh, we've got more to go here. We got more to go on Nick the American. All right, we have not talked since the Denver Broncos gave up seventy points to the Miami Dolphins. Seventy points. I was literally boarding the flight to Nashville, and Denver was down twenty eight fourteen. I had some work to do in the air, so I got Wi Fi. And by the by the end of the game and I hit refresh, it was seventy to twenty-eight or seventy to twenty-four, I forget. And I showed my wife this screen and she almost like spit out her wine. Yes, seventy points. And weren't you heard me talk about Vance Joseph in the last episode and how he's fucking awful and he's come back to cost us. Well, Sean Payton, you hired his ass. You hired his ass. And the second you hired him, I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Let me just tell you this. It Getting off that plane, talking to some Millennium members who know I'm a Bronco fan, everybody showing me the score, having fun with me. It, it, it is the lowest. You're talking to a fan of the Broncos from 1986 to the present. I've painted my body for games. I've cried during losses. I've let it affect my entire work week in a win, in a great way, in a loss, in an awful way, just like sports fans, diehard sports fans do. This loss to the Dolphins, giving up 70 damn points, was the lowest I've ever been as a Denver Bronco fan. The lowest I've ever been. My Bronco hat over there, should I put it on? Maybe I'm going to grab it. Those of you who don't have YouTube, you're missing out because I'm wearing a gigantic Denver Bronco horse head for like the third time. So it was the lowest point in my Bronco life. I can't even put it into words. I've been beaten down. Taking my hat off here. Now, don't think that because we we beat the the Bears coming back from a 28-7 deficit and ended up catching the Bears and winning 31-28, that makes me feel much better because the Bears are awful and that was a disgusting football game to watch in some regards. Our defense can't stop the run. Our defense was getting shredded by the Bears quarterback. It didn't... uh, The ball had to bounce our way and it did eventually when you when you win five ball games last year and you start out you know 0 and 3 this year and, and and two of your losses are super tight super tight your the ball is the NFL the ball is going to bounce your way it didn't make me feel any better it didn't make me feel any better i'm sure nathaniel hackett is 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 smiling a little bit at uh, Sean Payton's comments but payton's got to be a big boy and he's got to fix it the Broncos did show a shit ton of grit being down 28-7 after giving up 70 and somehow, some way, finding a way to win. Russell Wilson is has got nine touchdown passes and two interceptions. He's much better than he was last year, no doubt about it. I still don't think he's there. I, I But I, I'm going to reserve judgment on Russell. I'm going to reserve judgment on Russ. Our defense is hot fucking garbage. So there's your Bronco talk. There's your Bronco talk, ladies and gentlemen. Now let's, let's jump into, we've got so much to cover. We've jumped into high school football. 0-2 since the last time you talked to me. We dropped a 24-19 game to Lake Washington that to me wasn't even that close. It wasn't that close. And for the first time this year, our run game, it, it really, we had one drive. It, it really was kind of shut down. And so hats off to Lake Washington and the Kangaroos. This, I got home on a Thursday, got to the, we were out on at Mercer Island at their field. I believe it was their homecoming. And we lost 31 to seven in the game where we had like 22 first downs. Got stopped at the goal line on fourth and one where he, he got in. We got screwed. Would have made it 17-14 with a quarter to go. 
But uh, we ran the ball well. Uh, we got stopped on a fourth and two. We fumbled inside the 20. It, it, it just is who we are. We're a bad football team with literally no secondary. And, and if, it, you know, Nick the American, I could bring all our, our corners and defensive backs on the show and I could, I'd put my arm around them. And it, it just is what it is, guys. We're just not that good on the back end. Not that good. We are, we're just fine on the front end. Uh, we can always get better, but uh, our back end is tough. My hat's off to the Mercer Island Band. Holy shit. Was the Notre Dame band in attendance? My goodness. It, I didn't get to listen to a lot of it. I, you know, you're, you're in the locker room at halftime and you're, you're focused on the game and stuff. But I did get to see this band. And it was impressive. So stand up, Mercer Island band. And, 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 and lastly, I just want to say, we've got a, uh, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about our coaching staff before. But one of the things that hit me, and I've talked to some of the young coaches about this, but uh, Coach Lawler, Coach Potts, Coach Clark, and Coach Harmer. These are all kids that are under 25 years old. They're all really sharp coaches. And that doesn't mean, hey, Coach Harris, Coach McCullough, Coach Hartline, Coach Bennett, I love you guys. I'm talking about the young guns for a second. I really hope one day I can sit back and say, I coached with Coach Harmer. I coached with Coach Lawler. I coached with Coach Clark. I coached with Coach Potts. Because I believe all four of them one day can be head coaches at high school football in the state of Washington. And that's what I want. That's what I want. Boys, stand up. I'm so impressed with each one of you. And I'm impressed with the whole staff, even though we're not doing good. But I'm, I'm particularly impressed with you four young individuals. I want you to keep going, damn it. I want you guys to be head coaches, and I want to come watch you guys. Hell, I might even want to be on your staff. Stand up, boys. All right. We're getting close to the end, but we're not. I want to talk about sports washing really quick. And the Saudis. We talked about energy independence. One of the reasons maybe we want to get off of oil is so the Saudis don't run our shit. Now the Saudis own the golf, the PGA golf tour. Okay. Some people were for it. Some people were against it. Some people were indifferent. And so I want to pose this question. I want to pose this question. And I'm all over the map too. I'm like, I didn't really oppose the golf thing. Like, they shouldn't be involved in American sports. And then I want Prince Khalid. Khalid, please, Prince, come by boxing. I, I, I'm, I'm such a hypocrite. Boxing's more, uh, you know, golf's a global sport too. Boxing's a global sport. Nobody owns boxing. And so I want Prince Khalid and the Saudis to come come, come with, uh, you know, a, a bunch of money and, and, and buy it up. I'm like T. Boone Pickens, Prince Khalid. I've got a plan. Call me and I'll share it with you. But let's run through this scenario. Let's say, let's say the Saudis announce that they are going to create 10 football teams in the United States. I don't, don't ask me how this would work, what cities they'd be in. And to start, each team will have $500 million. They'll, do, they'll double the salary cap of the NFL. Maybe a minimum salary in the Saudi 10-man league is $10 million, okay? Maybe it's, maybe it's $5 million. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe they say the cap $600 million, but think about that. They put up $6 billion. They have 10 teams. Maybe it's a billion a team. They're going to go buy. All of a sudden, the National Football League is going to become diluted, like the USFL and the NFL, their battle. Who wouldn't want to play for the Saudi league and make 3X on their, on their money? Maybe they start paying running backs. So I'm just curious, does this sports washing by the Saudis, they're doing it in soccer. I heard they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to do it in F1. They've done it in golf. They're involved in boxing, but not, not, not any sort of takeover. What if they decided to try and take over the NFL? Would you be okay with that? Ten teams offering them more money than, than, than anybody's ever seen. 
What do you think about that? How would that go over? I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like it. I don't want I, I don't want the Saudis in our business except for my 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 cult sport of boxing, unfortunately. But think about that. Think about it. What if the Saudis came in and said, well, you know what? In 2025, we're going to start a 10-team league, uh, a football league, and we're going to pay you more money than you could ever have thought possible. We're going to pay you like NBA players, except there's 50 guys on a 53 guys on a roster, not 12. Think about that. All right, goodness, I probably should quit, but there's so much. I mean, as I speak to you today, Kevin McCarthy. Matt Gates is trying to oust Kevin McCarthy again as Speaker of the House. McCarthy worked with Democrats to avoid the government shutdown. And like I've told you, there's 30 Republicans in the House that just will not. I mean, you might have a majority, but when push comes to shove on a few different issues like spending issues, they they won't budge. And we talked about John Ryan, the former Speaker. We talked about John Boehner, the former Paul Ryan, excuse me, John Boehner. Yeah, you do you do this for fifty minutes, and you're going to screw up too, dang it! But uh, those speakers, they couldn't work with these Republicans. They just killed them. Um, John Boehner called these thirty Republicans, and I'm being loose here. It might be twenty five, it might be thirty three, but these Freedom Caucus people that that will not work with anybody. They called them political terrorists. They just shut down his agenda. He's he's basically, he's the speaker and he's powerless. And so Kevin McCarthy is, the, the you know, some of these Republicans are going to want to oust him. Sounds like some of these Republicans are going to want to oust Matt Gates. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think they should oust Matt Gates, not Kevin McCarthy. Let's get Matt Gates' ass out of, out of the house. But... I just thought I'd bring it up. It, it goes to show you how diverse parties are. Democrats are, has a, di- a very diverse party. I'm sometimes like shake my head and go, what the fuck? At, at the, the hard liberal you know, uh, side of the party, as conservatives do with the hard right. But uh, the Republican House is extremely diverse. And apparently, I don't care who the speaker is. You're going to have a tough time, as Boehner and Ryan did, and as McCarthy is right now, of garnering a majority. It is just doggone tough. So we will keep you updated. I'm sure you'll be watching. Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates's feud, and uh, Gates tried to stop him from becoming Speaker with what 14 votes on the House to be confirmed the first time. Will he be successful this time? I don't know. I don't know. God, we're going to get through one without we're basically talking about Trump and he's in all sorts of all, all sorts of shit. That New York fraud thing. I boy, there I mean he he's basically going to be out of business in the state of New York. That could be wor- that may scare him more than anything. May more than anything. But here I said I wasn't going to talk about Trump. Trump is running for president to pardon himself from four different indictments to stay out of jail. He is running for president so he can keep his super PACs. So you can Republicans, you can donate to his super PACs and he can pay off all of his legal bills. If he wasn't a political candidate, he couldn't do that legally. Okay. He's not running for president because he loves America or he loves the constitution or he loves conservatism. He loves himself. He's running for president because that is the only way. If he, winning is the only way he can save himself. And then God rest our souls if he becomes president again. But think about that. He's running for president for money and to save himself from some serious indictments. Oh, God. I don't even know how I start talking about that. But uh, all right. Lastly, lastly. Don't take yourself so seriously. I've talked about that before, and I'll give you an example. I, you know, I screw up. I screw up a lot. And uh, I was at the Millennium Conference in Nashville, and there was a there's a, a customer, Southern Pools and Spas in Virginia, and they placed an order with me last year for like thirty five hundred bucks, four thousand bucks, something like that. 
And I sent them an invoice a few months ago, a couple months ago, and they're like, hey, Nick, we never got our order. I'm like, oh. I, I go back and look at the shipping log, and I'm like, oh, my God. I didn't ship it out. So you know what? As I'm presenting in front of you know 75 Millennium Group members, I brought it up. I went over to Southern Pools and Spas. I went over to Josh. And I told the entire group how I'm in business to get orders, to ship orders, and get paid, damn it. Well, these folks right here at Southern Pools and Spas, I said this in front of everybody, they gave me an order, and I did not do my job, and I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I fucked up, and I owned it. If you fuck up, own it. If you fuck up, you own it. Now, I'll give you another example how dumb I can be sometimes. I'm doing this podcast and, and I, I'm, I'm getting better. I think I'm getting better. I listen to episode 10 and episode 11 and I cringe. Not because of the content. I love the content. I like the content. I said the word right like I was a genius. Right, 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 right. Every six seconds. And when I listen to those episodes over, I just, I just want to curl up in a ball and just smack myself in the face. and You know, what an idiot. What an idiot. But it's okay. I'm getting better. I'm going to ship Southern. I, I, I stood up and told Southern Pools and Spas, I screwed up. I don't blame you if you don't want to order from me again. I owned it. They're going to order from me again. And you can bet your ass I'm shipping it out. You can bet your ass I'm doing my best to fix my language. Sometimes the F word. But, right, right, right. Episodes 10 and 11 just made me cringe. But uh, we've talked a long time. I'm happy to be back. I thank you for listening. Hey, tell your friends about Nick the American. Why the hell not? Hey, there's this moron from Seattle that I'm listening to. You know what? He's not that smart, but he's not that stupid either. Plus, he'll let you know when he's wrong. We need a little bit more of that in this country. I always say I love you. I'm not going to say it this time. I'm just going to leave you. Goodbye. Have a great week. Go do something wonderful. And I'll talk to you next week.